Hey everyone. So um, part of this whole process is dying. And here's the thing, you know, when you're, and I don't mean dying physically, but you're, you know, what you built um, dies. When there's too much seeing, it is just, the seeing is so monumental. Um, there's, you know, there's a morning, right? There's like, you know, with the seeing is the elation and with the seeing is the sadness of the truth, right? Of, well, who was really there? And, you know, what was that all about? And, you know, and the recognition that in the end, I don't know what your trauma is. Um, but if there is trauma and if there's, if there's a lot of grief early on, you know, it's like, it's like a love affair. I think your the parents are like a love affair. I just saw this great little video, a little girl who's in tears because she couldn't marry her dad, you know. And she told her mom, you know, I can't marry my dad. He's taken. And it was just so sweet, right? So... And that's kind of an extreme. But it's, you know, the first intimate relationship with these people are really your first, it's a first love affair. It's the first act of real love. And for it to be distorted or, you know, diseased or deranged or bad or wrong, or, to not arrive to that, to not arrive to that is, is a huge, it's a it's, um, big disfigurement, right? And um, in the mess that I grew up with, everybody had their own agenda, and there was no really no love. It was just one guy who was tyrannical and needed to control everybody, and you know whatever. And I think you know that's the great. It's a you know you, you sort of it's a, the breaking of the heart, really. Never. It's never known love. And I think all the work that you do if you're traumatized is to get love, you know, to control safety, to um, get love, be loved, connect, you know, find that source. And, and if it's not there, then, you know, the machinations are huge and you know, the effort to not see the truth and to cover up the truth and to live with the most awful or uncomfortable situations is paramount because at the end, the child, I think, just wants to be loved. And, you know, in your heart, you know that there never has been true love, unconditional love. You know, there's I think that's what makes it all so uncomfortable. That's what makes you, you know, work so hard to make the impossible work, right? You can't make up love. You can't, you can't buy it, you know, on the shelf, you know, in Costco's. It doesn't come on Prime. It's, it's just either there or it isn't. It's, you know, this massive caring and attention. I think ultimately, 
it's about attention. And if a child is not met with that embrace, and, and I, I really think about it like a gardener, you know? And you think about the effort that people put into orchids, and, you know, they know so much about them and exactly what they are. It's the same thing with a child. It's like, it's this magnificent piece of divinity. And, and all it really needs is love, that's it. I mean, ultimately it has its own script, it's gonna become whatever. So, I think for me the whole pro, I, I kept it all in pretend mode. I kept it all in, I'm not gonna look at this mode and kept layering upon layering, you know, the Michelin So it's, that's, this, this whole thing, this, I, I recognize now this, all these stories, identities, these actions, this work, this striving, this, you know, leaving continents and was, just about being loved. That's it. The bottom line was, I'm prepared to ignore, well, I had to, I mean, I was also terrified, by the way, but I am willing to ignore the horror of everything if at the end the prize is love. There's a hope in the child that somehow if I just carry this unwieldy thing, if I just, you know, transform, if I just become that thing that they want, that there will be love. I'm, you know, you're making all this effort so at the end, I'll be seen. I will have done what he wanted or she wanted, and I will exist. And it's not about existing, it's about being loved. Now, the truth is you can't be loved for pretending yourself into someone else. That's not love. Love is, I see you. Whatever it is that's within you, whatever it is that you are, you know, I love it, right? Doesn't matter if you're pink, yellow, six heads. It's that just maternal seeing and loving of this little piece of divinity. And I think the great sorrow of all of it is was that there was no love, right? The abuse was horrible. You know, first, that's the first act of no love, right? Send your kid out to be sexually abused. Well, that's just right there. You know, an absolute denial of love. But I, I erased that, I blocked that out. I had to find love somewhere. So I was willing to go to the lengths that I had to go. Again, there was also massive terror and massive fear. But in the end, I thought I, thought I could somersault it all and eventually, if I could just 
make them what they wanted. And it was so conditional and it was so unloving. I think that's, yeah, that's, that's the greatest disappointment, right? So there's, there's enormous, so you can, you can choose to stay asleep, right? And pretend that at some point and not know any of yourself, like, like not know, you know, have a little surf, you know, superficial knowledge of your stuff. Um, and that's fine. You can, you know, whatever. Anyone can do whatever they want to do. But when you really plunge deep into these kind of Mariana trenches, the deepest place in the ocean, and you're willing to go further and further, um, and you remove layer upon layer upon layer, you know, once you get past the horror of what happened, whatever happened to you, they hurt you, they dumped their shit on you, they abused you, they physically, whatever. In the end, what it's, it, the recognition is that was just a black hole. And so I had, you know, he installed his dungeon keeper in me so that I would terror would exist in me, right? So that I would never challenge him. So that whole outline, that whole physical entity, you know, I only recently sort of began to really rage, you know, like physically come through me. So I wouldn't see what was behind there. And even having, expi having expi you know, I mean, I, now I don't, you know, as I said, it doesn't do anything to me. I, I mean, as a child, yes, you know, it was horrific. Um, but I think um, what the ayahuasca has led me to, and again, this has been a very long kind of, Odyssey is behind the tyranny and the thing that I'd built behind this huge energetic body, and it's like a second body in my system. Um, was the child that had been buried. I had this incredible ceremony recently where it was, I was about five or six and I was at the bottom of this shaft in the ground, you know, as a child. And as in the first ceremony in Peru, I'd been discovered, I was found abandoned and alone and unloved. Yeah, and I suppose we build, you know, these massive stories to refuse 
for the truth because the truth is too unbearable, right? It is unbearable to think, A, that your parent would take you out to be sexually abused or hurt you or abandon you or whatever they did to you. That's, so that's number one. That's an unbearable thought. So we have to cover that up and, and cover up whatever happened there and I just blacked it out. And then, and then, um, and my mother accommodated him by saying, oh, you know, your father really loves you, you know. It's, he just had issues with his parents or something. I mean, it was just, so it was this constant, like, you're able to cover it up because everything around you suggested the opposite of what was really going on, right? And so, and the other is, it's unbearable for a child to not be loved. I think those are the two. And so, and, and you know, in response to that, in the refusal of that, I blacked out the truth. I had a massive, you know, um, electrified gate that wouldn't let me leave them. And that electrified gate legitimized them. The terror made me legitimize them. Pure terror. So I would never see the truth. If I saw the truth, of course, you know, you would challenge them, right? But the terror was so powerful. They, they needed me, you know, so this is what happened. They needed me to become something for them, right? So the tyranny, etc., was for success. You know, you need to be successful to make us look good, to look after us, to whatever. It was all about their positioning, right? The electrified fence acted as the stimulus to constantly ensure that I would fulfill their ends. You know, because if I didn't, you know, well, the terror, it was just pure terror. It was uh, something terrible was going to happen. And so, and the electrified fence also, um, in that terror, you don't question. And in that terror, you know, you blank out, right? So it was all these <clears throat> very nasty and, you know, cunning things. But at the end of it, you know, once I'd understood, once I actually accepted, I actually faced the dragon, which was this roaring entity inside of me, and kept facing it and kept facing it. At the end, what was left was a child in a very dark, deep hole in the ground. In other words, your soul, if there's trauma, is abandoned. If you're not seen, if you're not loved, you're just abandoned, right? And what I'd built, what I'd become, the role I played was this 
a, a, a being that was built, it's like an airbag, right? It's built in an emergency. It's built to satisfy their needs so you won't die. They're not there to love you, they're there to use you to their ends. And even if it's whatever kind of trauma, if somebody is using you, they're narcissistic or they're bullies, or they're using you, demanding that you show up as they want. Basically, you know, don't be the daffodil, I want you to be a cucumber then it's an abandonment of you, right? It's abandonment of your own script. You know, it's you, you're supposed to be a daffodil and they're saying, no, I don't want a daffodil. I want um, a harpoon expert, <laughs> right? And you abandon, you have to, to you know, create the role that will soften them and not make them angry and not make them rage. And you have to build what's in your best interest for survival. And that would mean in your best interest is in the interest of alleviating, you know, the toxic poison that's coming out of them at you. So they're, if there's trauma, they're usually unstable people, unstable, toxic, you know, basically walking around like a suicide bomb at any moment now they can go, explode, right? And so <coughs> how you respond is not, you know, issuing from, you know, a calm, loving environment. Sorry. <coughs> oh, it's coming from pure terror. It's coming from a battlefield. It's coming from, am I going to survive today? And as you kind of pull apart, and it really is like a tapestry, like the Shipibo, the, the artwork, all these threads, these energetic threads. Um, Excuse me. Oh boy. Um, at the end of it, you arrive to its, you know, the the origin, and the origin is, you know, you never showed up. You were buried, your soul, and it really is like being trapped in some sort of. you know, dishwasher of crap, and you have to make that work. And it really is like, it's really like getting caught up in a roving shitstorm. You know, you just happen to be around and it pulls you up into its, you know, n never-ending, accelerated, you know, kind of wheel of crap and you can't get out 
because it's tricked you and it, there's all sorts of shit that's going on. And it's almost like, well, why? You know, what was the point of that? I don't know. I still have no idea. But that's it. I mean, once you put it all apart, I think I think the most difficult or the most the saddest part is, well, there was no love. There's no love, right? <clears throat> if someone doesn't see you, doesn't attend to you, if someone, you know, slaps you, hits you, abuses you, you know, condemns you, puts you down, whatever. It's just like there's no respect at all for this incredible divinity, which is absolutely unnatural. It's just so bloody unnatural. And it's so funny because I was speaking to someone and they were like, it's almost like love is a weird, like why would, you know, like love is a lottery, like love is a lottery. Um, like it's a special thing, like it's not the norm. That to me is weird. Um, so yes, yeah, so I think, <clears throat> You know, if you're willing to, again, plunge into the depths of yourself and the psyche and your energetic field and, and everything, you know, as you disentangle, as you, you're removed from what you've been cooked in, right? So you're pulled out of the cauldron and, and <coughs> You know, the recognition, and it, it comes slowly again as it comes in images, it comes in holograms, it comes through the plants, it comes, you know, you'll get guides, you'll, um, <clears throat> as you're being cleansed and removed, you know, my motivation was just, I just, I'll do anything to be loved, right? And I mean inside that environment. I'm not talking about elsewhere. I'm just talking the motivation within your own family circle, whatever your trauma is. You know, I'll do anything to be loved. I'll refuse all this. I won't challenge them. I'll make it work. I'll be their PR agent. I'll, you know, <coughs> give a rousing Oscar speech at your funeral. I'll do anything and anything. I had to invent them in a way, right? So... Once you've done it for a long time, it's no longer an invention. It's like, you know, once you lie enough, you begin to believe the lie. And that's the same thing with this. You know, once you're in the desperation to survive, you know, I mean, there's no, you can't bear the thought that these people aren't, are what they, they are, right? Um, yeah. The bottom, you know, at the at the end, it's just whatever it is that they did, you know, it's 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 not it's, it's not being loved. I mean, there's the only reasons you're going through hoops and drugging up and whatever is because there's no love. There's no love, and we have to try to make the world work without real love. 
And that's the great injury. The great disease of the world is people living without love and trying to make up for it in every other way they can, you know, whether that's buying a $10,000 Prada bag or, you know, sitting under a bridge with a heroin needle or it's this kind of vast, empty continent of love, of truly caring, of truly seeing, of listening, of and I'm talking specifically in childhood, you know, because that's where the first experience of love happens, right? The parents around you, you know? And I'm not talking about just, you know, laissez-faire. No, I'm just talking about genuine caring and seeing. And it doesn't have to be as, you know, barbaric or as horrific, you know, it doesn't have to be a severe thing. It could be just the, the abandonment, like the not, you know, not taking into consideration, the not respecting a child. So, again, in the end, uh, you know, even though you you see and you you know you undergo a massive kind of reprogramming, I think you know having I got to the, the core, you know what I think it's still this kind of raging, roaring, you know, energetic monster inside of me which was, I call it the electrified gate. That was what I had to get through. So it terrified me so I would agree to living without love. I would agree to qualifying and legitimizing its behavior, its needs. I would agree to become what it wanted me to be, to fulfill its ends. It was done with terror, pure and utter terror. I would agree to be abused and black it out. I would agree to become something I wasn't in order to satisfy it. That's what, that was just pure terror. But on the other side of terror, was a child that had been abandoned the soul that had been abandoned, you know, deep in the shaft of the earth. So as it should be said, Maria, you know, you have to connect. Your child is abandoned. And I think that's what happens in trauma. Our children, our souls are abandoned. And I always say it's like you have to go home and rescue your, your child. 
I mean, this is a search and rescue mission to bring her home. And to integrate him or her, to make yourself whole. And it's a repossession of yourself. Because you never showed up. What, what you built was built as a defense mechanism in an unholy, horrific situation. And so you have to mourn, you know, the death of you, really, the death of what you built, of your, you know, the thing that you've known for so many years. That's this, you know, defense mechanism that, that has all its ways it looks and says and it feels and whatever. It has a whole, it has its, its whole performance, let's put it that way. It's a piece, a piece of performance art. It's not you. You only shows up when there's love, right? You truly blossom when you're loved, when you're seen. So, In the end, it was just a barking dog that terrified me, right? It was just this barking. I mean, it's interesting how it's just after years and years of sitting and energetically being disassembled. In the end, what lay in my pool of divinity, we all are pools of divinity, the shadow was this barking dog. You know, it's a bully. It's, I'm going to terrify you to do what I need you to do. Not, I'm going to love you and, you know, make life safe and protect you and give you the power to go and grow into your script, which is already here, which is we all have, it was just as, you know, horrible barking dog. You know, the writhing monster, the, it was just, it's, it's, it's almost like every fairy tale, right? It's the, t the monster under the bed. It's that, the prevalent notion of fear, fear. Which, you know, was deeply inscribed in my being. God, I felt it like in my, I mean, it was literally this physical wiring. So, yeah, in the end there was just a very well, it was kind of a writhing monster, really, but, you know, it has an energetic thing to it. But it was just an electrified field created so I would um, do what I was told and be controlled and fulfill its outcomes. It was something that was built in relationship to that electrified field, that electrified fence. So if you have 
fear, you're going to build a person in response to that fear. But you're never here. The only thing that was ever here was the fear and the, per that the, and the person terrified by that fear, you know, building itself in order to not die. And then on the other side of that electrified fence was a soul that had never been loved or seen and had never grown or blossomed. It just remained at the bottom of the shaft in the earth. And actually in one of the ceremonies, I did actually see myself climbing up and out of it. <coughs> so, it's like, if there's a, it's, it, this is interesting, I suppose interesting, but like, I kept thinking, oh yeah, I knew. Like, I kept thinking, I've seen it, you know, I'm convinced I'm done. But what's interesting is that I was never fully convinced. I was still holding on to the hope that this wasn't really true, that this wasn't really him, that this wasn't really her. The ch it's very difficult, almost impossible, if your child was traumatized, for it to betray or not defend or blame a parent. They are really living in this, it's, of course they're your parents, you know, you can't imagine them to be the ones that aren't protecting you, that they are in fact the predators. I suppose they're supposed to be the ones to protect you from the predator, not the predator itself. And that's very difficult for your child to arrive at because there you've built this whole massive structure <coughs> that has tons of stories and identities to ensure that you never actually see that. But even when you really know it, it's just, it's difficult to just truly know. And that's why it's, it's important that you're consistent with sitting and seeing and constantly coming up to this electrified fence if you have fear. Because it, it, you've got to keep it going up to it and it's roaring and gnashing and roaring and gnashing and, and at some point it's just like, I don't give a shit. It's not, it doesn't frighten you anymore. You know, and the truth becomes, you know, as bright as the evening star, right, in a clear sky. And, you know, it's a, it's a slow up ending. I mean, you know, if you've built the Titanic <coughs> and your defense, you know, again, the bigger the, the trauma, the bigger the defense mechanism, the bigger the ego. It's, you have to reconvince it. It's like, so in the beginning you had to, you know, build a structure, you had to convince yourself they weren't what you thought they were, right? And it's very powerfully built. 
And then you have to deconstruct it all. And what they were originally is what they are. And so, you know, this is very strange. It's almost like it never happened, although it did, right? So, you know, where is it being built? What is happening, right? It all happened in some pocket of the universe. I mean, if you think about it coldly and not emotionally attached to it, which is almost impossible, of course, because it's all emotions, but um, it is like being hijacked. Like your soul is hijacked. You'll use, you know, for somebody else's agenda. You're trapped in their energetic vacuum, so to speak. You don't know you're trapped. I didn't know I was trapped because I blacked it out. You know, you go along, you get caught up in all their energetic toxicity. Of course, you're not aligned with any of it. It's not who you are. It's somebody else's shit. <clears throat> it just happens to be a parent, which is a bit, you know, horrible. And then you have to kind of, all this cleansing is to pluck yourself out of this roving and roaming energetic piece of poison that's just moving around, right? So who were they? They certainly weren't my parents, right? Parents are people who love. I don't know. And then the question is like, where are you from originally, right? So. The thing about the ayahuasca, it, it, it connects you to your own, to the divine source, right? So we come from this one thing, this big natural one thing. I don't know what it is. It's a mystery, I don't know. But the amount of love received there is phenomenal. And again, the only way that I was able to even, yeah, surrender to any of this or walk this path is because of the incredible love that I received um, in, these, in these ceremonies that gave me the faith, that gave me the courage, that gave me the will to go in and see everything. So yeah, I think in the end, um, you know, you get to, to sort of, you get to, you know, see the reason for everything. Um, enlightenment was waking up, it's just a light on the truth. <coughs> the things you couldn't face. Um, the terror that you couldn't face as a child, the fear, and they get unplugged in a way, you, as the more you face them, the more unplugged, and then 
and then you you're you know you you're back with your soul in a way you have to now you have the love of this great divinity and your you know your attention is no longer that's the thing about trauma too is that your attention is always around you know the site of the wound and the people around the wound and it's just you never escape it's like moth around a you know light it's just a constant source of gravitational pull and once you see the truth, you know, I think for me, I was always trying to invent love or invent a connection around my family and all these people. And, and I was doing all the work. Nobody ever bothered to do anything, right? They didn't, people just, you know, responded differently. But I was always a rah, rah, you know, we're going to make this work. And I was the one, I was, I suppose, the most delusional because I was the one that was most severely hurt by the abuse. Um, I was the biggest cover-up because I had the biggest thing to cover up. So, you know, I was always a cheerleader for making this thing work. And, you know, once I kind of lost the momentum, there was nobody trying to make this family, you know, the family work. It was just like no one gave a shit. Right? Because everybody was responding to their own trauma. So, yeah, it's like, uh, it's, it's, it's really like being cut off from, you know, a piece of ice or something in that land, you know, in the Antarctic. You kind of break off eventually. With all this knowing, you just break off. And the truth was that there was never anything there anyway, right? It was, all, it was never real. It was never honest. It was never authentic. And... You know, you can decide that you just want to keep showing up as the defense mechanism and you're not aligned with yourself and you're willing to hide from the truth and live in discomfort and anxiety. And, and that's, you know, fine. You know, anyone can choose whatever they want to do. But for me, it was, I knew something was wrong. The universe pushed me off a cliff. It kind of like set me up for it. And when I started on this path and this journey to see everything and to get deeper into this place, I didn't know what was I was going to see. I didn't know um, what it meant or anything. I just went along with it and kept going in and kept going in. And it was, you know, I was basically disassembled and shown and... Um, you know, physically, emotionally, intellectually, in every way, I was disassembled and shown the truth, and you know, emotionally, and and you, you know, there's a disappearing of you in a way. There's like, you know, you cannot. Um, none of that energetic ignition can exist anymore. Once you see the truth, it only exists. If you don't know, if you're in the shadow and you don't know where the trauma is coming from or the emotions are coming from, then you're always being triggered. There's always ignition, but once you see it, it's yeah, the ignition just goes. And in the end, I suppose that's what the ayahuasca is doing: is she's cleansing you of all the energetic garbage around you, all the lies, and she's really realigning you with your truth. I mean, what that 
is, I don't know. I just know that, you know, something big was lost or torn down that, you know, I, I've, I've seen the truth and it's not nice and and it was you know and and my own yearning for it to be something it wasn't was a problem because I think you know truth is the great healer once you know something you can you know act and negotiate a future you can't if you don't know it and you're stuck in some fantasy which I certainly was and in distraction it was just a paralysis and I was still living inside this energetic toxic waste dump in which I was still being owned by energies that you know well dead right but continued to survive within me as kind of viruses you know and that coupled with my hope of that some point there may be some kind of love from these people it was just you know it was the electrified field right the fence she had to get me to the fence to see literally how it was physically inside of me how why it happened to be inside of me what was behind that fence and how I'd been imprisoned but I you know I mean I saw it in ceremony but I really had to literally physically see it these things are very powerful. They're all around us. They're like ether, but we can't see them. We're blinded by our own delusion and our own fear. And it is a, it's a mini death, as it's taking ayahuasca is like dying, right? They call it the vine of the dead. And I finally reconnected with my soul again, right? The little girl stuck down the shaft in the earth abandoned and that's how our souls are when um, we're unloved or hurt or traumatized so um, it's a dissolution an awakening a seeing of truths and ultimately a reconnection with our soul and like everything that's left in the wake of, you know, an action, difficult to see at first, you know, it's like a death, there will be mourning. But eventually there's a sprouting of this new unified being, aligned. You cannot be aligned if you've been abused or in any way traumatized. There's no alignment. And ultimately, we're energetically at our healthiest when we're aligned with who we truly are. You know, and one of the things I didn't recognize about having this energetic force field or electrocuted field was all the space it was taking up in my psyche, right? That's like, that's a lot of energetic space that I had no access to. Plus, it's like living with a, somebody somebody has their foot on the brake pedal, you're not going anywhere. It's really you're just dragging yourself through life. So, um, 
removing it all gives you more energetic space in the universe, more consciousness, more clarity, more power. Um, and again, it doesn't mean the world is suddenly nirvanic. You know, there's always going to be shit happening. But you're not driving blind. You're driving, you know, with your eyes open. You can see when there's a, you know, an avalanche coming. Or you can, you know, you're in it. It's like, you're, but you're not in it blind. That's the thing about trauma is you're driving through life blind. So, yeah. It's a process. It's a journey. And like any process or any journey of, you know, shedding, um, there is renewal. There is finally renewal. Bye.